Welcome to the third season of Better News, a series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by API and the Knight Lenfest Local News Transformation Fund. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research API has published as part of its Better News initiative. The Tennessean is a major newspaper in Nashville, Tennessee. It's also the flagship of the USA Today Network South. Like many mainstream newspapers, the Tennessean has primarily served a white audience, even though Nashville's population is 24% black. LeBron Hill is an opinion columnist at the Tennessean. He's here to talk about the Black Tennessean Voices Initiative and how the Tennessean is engaging with and writing for black audiences. LeBron, welcome to the Better News Podcast. Oh, man, it's great to, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm just really great to, to get a chance to talk to you about this really kind of worthy effort that you've got going on. So first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved in journalism? How did you end up at the Tennessean? Yeah, so I like to say that I'm a, a rare Tennessean who works at the Tennessean. <laughs> I, I'm from Tullahoma, Tennessee. It's a uh, smaller town uh, uh, in South Tennessee, uh, Middle Tennessee. Yeah, so I started out, you know, actually wanting to be a music producer when I was in Montlose State Community College, which is also in Middle Tennessee. They have four campuses, and I went to the one in Tullahoma. So I majored in mass communication. But as I've got, as I've, you know, was going through going through school, I realized, man, I really am just not. I'm not as musically inclined as I like to think of myself to be, <laughs> which I think a lot of us have that moment, you know, when we're young, we're like, you want to be a rock star. And it's like, eh, I don't really know how to do that. So then I decided that, you know, I really enjoy telling stories. I love being involved in the community and, and issues that are important to the community. And so I made the decision after I graduated, get my two-year degree at Montlow to uh, then pursue journalism at Lipscomb University uh, in Nashville. So I didn't really actually want to be an opinion columnist until I was given this assignment, really, for a, a piece that was about something that took place at, at my college that was it was really crazy. It was um, I won't go super detailed of it, but there was this um, we had a um, uh, situation at at Lipscomb where there was uh, we call it Cotton Gate because what happened was that there was a situation where the president of the of university had invited people to to his house to just celebrate the black students at Lipscomb University. But what ended up happening was that there was cotton centerpieces on the tables and then there was a stereotypical food served like fried chicken, collard greens, ribs and all that stuff. So what happened was that, you know, I was given the opportunity because I was there to write a sort of commentary opinion piece. That was like my first like venture into opinion journalism is this really big like scandal that happened, you know, on my on, on my campus. So it was such a powerful experience. And I was like, you know what, I really like doing this opinion journalism thing. So from there on, I started doing it regularly and, and uh, graduated in 2019 with a degree in journalism. And then I think a couple months after, luckily, you know, the great David Plazas saw me out and uh, I was able to get a job uh, with the Tennessean. Wow. That's a pretty interesting story you've got there. First of all, I, I definitely identify you growing up in Tennessee. You want to go into the music business. I mean, that seems natural. I grew up in Indiana and everybody who grows up in Indiana thinks they want to be a basketball player. And at some point they reach that same moment where they say, yeah, I'm only going to be about five, six. I'm not that fast. <laughs> so I better find something else to do. And I like the fact that 
hey, LeBron, you were at that dinner. Do, do you have an opinion about it? And uh, yeah, I guess you did. Yeah, no, it was it was so crazy. It was like we were just in the newsroom and we were just trying to figure out what to do because it was like a volcano eruption because we like it was like subtle, you know, because no one really thought about it, you know, the night that it happened. But the morning after it was like, you know, it was like the volcano erupted. And so we're in the newsroom and they were like, and I was like, yeah, I was there. And I'm like, do you want to write like an opinion about this? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. But I think that's what, that's the beautiful part about journalism is that, you know, people with moxie are, you know, like kind of a trademark for journalists is having that moxie and that determination to be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. You got a front row. You have an opinion. Sure. So <laughs> you wrote for the Better News Initiative, a story about what the Tennessee did to try to engage its black readers. Can you tell me about, you know, what was the problem they were trying to solve there? You know, for me, I don't think it was necessarily fixing a problem. I think it was trying to to create a more constant relationship between the Tennessean and the black community. I think that for a long time, the Tennessee hasn't had like the, the best relationship with the black community based on the history that the Tennessean has. And, you know, we, we owned up to it. I mean, there's just recently, I went down to the Capitol, uh, state Capitol building, where there used to be a, a statue of, I forgot the man's name, but he was a really not nice guy, you know, especially towards, you know, African-Americans. And, and you know, he was opposite of, you know, the civil rights movement. He was a former Tennessean editor. And this was a while back, and I'll have to, you know, I'll fact check, and I'll probably send, it to, uh, send you the, the facts of it. But that's just one of the, the many, you know, things that we have to face, you know, at, at Tennessee, and there's a history that was against, you know, civil rights and against, you know, the progression of, of, of Black, uh, the Black voice. So I think when we got into this, this mission of trying to, you know, push the Black voice and being able to uplift them, I think we really had to think about, okay, we know that they are going to come, come in this situation skeptical, and we have to make sure that we are being as genuine and just upfront with what we're doing as possible. And so what was the strategy you took to sort of address this problem or to raise the Black uh, voice in your publication? I mean, as an opinion journalist, we, the one thing that we, that we did, you know, me and David Plossus did was that we just tried to make sure that we were always reaching out to Black uh, voices, whether it be Black scientists, Black librarians, Black historians, whatever it was, and we would ask them to write columns for us because we wanted to showcase their opinions. Because it's not just about them being a Black whatever, it's about them being Black but having a voice that's, that's needed in this community. So on our end, the opinion end, I think that was that was very vital for us is to just keep having those moments where we can reach out and be like, hey, would you like to write a piece? Would you like to, to, to be a part of this? And then it's also, you know, again, reaching out to like members of the community looking for ambassadors, you know, looking for people who have brands and being able to you know, have them on for a Tennessee Voices podcast or a Black Tennessee Voices live conversation and just, you know, having them speak and them sharing it on their feed. And, and when people when people see that, you know, this person was on uh, the Tennessean uh, side or was, you know, interviewed by someone from Tennessean, they start to have a different impression of us as a, as a newspaper. So I think those little things are what help us kind of that's kind of the strategy that we had was just reaching out to the community, reaching out to, you know, the community that um, have a brand, that have a following so that we can, you know, give them a different impression of what Tennessean is about. Now, I know you mentioned in your answer there, black, the Black Tennessean. And I know before we were talking, you, you have a podcast, a video podcast that you do. What 
you know, tools did you have available to you and avenues did you use to sort of execute what you were looking to do? Yeah, so the Black Tennessee Voices initiative was started when we did a uh, table stakes, which is like kind of like a like a brainstorming conferencing thing that we did for about a year. For me, you know, it was one of those things where I didn't really know exactly what it was going to look like, but I knew that we were going to have to try to do it something where like we're going to have to meet them where everyone is at. And where is everyone at? They're in social media, right? So I knew that Facebook was going to be a place where people were going to be at. You know, they already have a resource. They already have that, you know, obviously Facebook groups is an established thing on, on the site. So I thought to myself, how about we just make a Facebook group? It's going to be easy for us. It's going to be free. You know, we're not going to have to worry about, you know, dealing with having to go through marketing or going through other avenues. We can just start right away because we really were trying to get the ball rolling when it comes to this initiative. And so the Black Tennessee Voices Facebook group started first. And then after that, I realized, well, you know, David Plaza's, you know, does such a great job with the Tennessee Voices newsletter that, you know, spans, you know, voices from across the state of Tennessee, you know, but we thought, how about we just make a Black Tennessee Voices monthly edition where I would just take over the, the Tennessee Voices newsletter once a month and just, you know, say, hey, look, here's some really great content by some awesome, awesome Black guest columnists and columnists who, who are, you know, the Black Tennessean. And how about we just, you know, showcase that? And so just for me, the, the resource that we had was kind of already there with, with the really big Tennessee Voices initiative or the uh, the Facebook, you know, the Facebook group. So I think it was just easier to get it, to get the foundation started because of the resources that I was able to, to have at my disposal. Okay. And, and so what was the initial response to what you're doing on Facebook and what you're doing with the newsletter? You know, when we did the newsletter, the monthly edition Every Black Voices edition outdid every Tennessee Voices initiative that I think that month. And so I don't have the exact numbers with me, but I know that there was uh, one, there was one particular week, I think we set a record or we like, we were like second to the record of like click rate or open rate. So we were really, for me, it was, it stood out to me like, yeah, like people are actually like wanting to read this. I mean, and obviously, you know, we can get, uh, we'll probably get into it later, but, you know, to lightly bring it up. The Black Lives Matter movement really, really kind of shined a light on what was on what I think a lot of Black people were already wanting, which was a consistent voice like in news or in the community. I think that there was just there's been a lack of consistency just throughout the across the board when it comes to Black issues, issues that, that Black people care about. And I think that that was something that I noticed, you know, way before, I mean, even the, you know, the George Floyd, um, George Floyd's uh, tragic murder and, and, and the constant, you know, uh, uh, and Armin Arbery and, and Breonna Taylor, for a lot of Black people that I've talked to in the community, a lot of them feel like it wasn't just the fact that, like, you know, no one comes out there and into the communities. They do go into those communities, but they leave and then they just come back whenever something tragic happens. And that's something that we've kind of coined is, you know, the... Uh, reporting about them instead of with them. And so I think that we were trying to, we were trying to stop that cycle, at least for, for, you know, for us with Black Tennessee Voices Initiative, we wanted to make it, a, we wanted to write with them. We wanted our reporting, our engagement to be with them, you know, and not make it seem like we're just doing this just because. And I like the way you phrase that because we've had conversations on this podcast and on It's All Journalism, our, our other podcast about newsrooms trying to engage more diverse audiences. And also, you know, 
sort of what you described, going into communities only when something bad was happening, this sort of helicopter journalism and, and that problem, by sort of terming it as, you know, reporting with them, I mean, that says a lot to the audience, that you're there when the good things are happening, good stories are being highlighted, and then when things go bad, it's not that you're showing up just because things are bad, it's, it's because that's what you're doing. It would be seen to be an approach that would create greater engagement that people would would respond more to. So, you know, I was going to ask you about Black Lives Matter and George Floyd and even the pandemic. You know, you had this initiative going on before that. How do these stories sort of affect the implementation and the continued growth of the Black Tennessean? I think it just vamped up what we were already doing. I think it just it just pushed what we were doing with the Black Tennessee Voices initiative. Like I think we were just trying to keep going. And I think that was, that was what I think changed the, the most with, with, you know, George Floyd's murder, you know, and the protests that happened and Black Lives Matter movement. I think we just, we just knew that there was no time to stop and we have to keep going and we have to show something up. So I think when we, the protests happened and it was so, you know, tragic and it was pretty hard for, I mean, again, me as, as a Black man, I was, it was really hard, you know, to, to grasp, you know, what was happening at that point, because it was just, I was just so, um, I, mean, I was no, I was, I was, I was very, I was very sad, and I was angry, and it was just all these emotions. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was, it was just a lot. But anyway, we, what happened was, we did this special Black Tennessee Voices print section. We made the whole entire section filled with columns by Black authors, some that were actually that worked for the uh, Tennessean and, and the networks in Tennessee, and also you know just just regular columnists that we get content from. And so I wrote a piece called Stop Telling Black People They're Overthinking Racism, what I thought was a very, very um, needed piece based on what was happening when people would just be like, oh, like you, you don't understand where the person, maybe this, you know, the cop was doing this, blah, blah, blah. And it was just very much like, I feel like that was the common thread that I got was that there were not enough people understanding where Black people were coming from, which is what I think kind of drove the kind of the, the foundation of what I wanted Black Tennessee Voices to be is a place where, you know what, I want you to, you know, Black person come here, come here and say, you know, what, I want to speak into the chat or into the, the Facebook group because I know this is somewhere where I'm not going to be told that I'm overthinking this, that I'm not going to be told that this isn't correct or whatever. And so I think that that was that was a driving force with that. You know, after we did the print section, we were still just constantly trying to figure out what, what can we do, what can we do, because we wanted to make sure that this wasn't just a black square moment. I think that was the worst thing that I that I ever saw within this entire that entire movement was the whole black square thing. That was just like what I mean, what does that even accomplish? I just felt so weirded out by it because it literally was just a black square with no intention or meaning behind it. It was just something that people just want to do because, you know, hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic, we have nothing else to do. So I did not want what we were doing at the Tennessean to be a black square moment. And so I knew that it was going to take me reaching out to people, reaching out to members of the black community and constantly keeping that relationship going. And so luckily in November, we were able to start the Black Tennessee Voices Facebook group, which has now grown to about 300 members starting at, I think, about five when we first started, which the five was just me and everyone and, like, I think the four other members of the Tennessean, so. Just to define things for those who are not familiar with it, when you say Black Square, what is it you're referring to? You know, when people were doing the whole, uh, you know, like, Instagram, put a Black Square in your, you know, post a Black Square if you're in solidarity with Black Lives Matter and, 
and you can go to anyone's like Instagram account and, you know, go back to like, you know, what was it, May or June of last year? And you go see like, you know, the little black squares and it's just like supposed to be in solidarity with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement or just with Black lives, you know, lost to police uh, brutality. But in reality, there was nothing really done after that. I mean, there was really nothing outside of that. So then that's what I mean is that we can't just rely on these face actions, you know, just like, you know, just like these like, oh, like I'm, you know, in solidarity, but it's like, I'm not really doing anything outside of that. The symbolism and not necessarily just criticizing the, the black square, but just sometimes people do something symbolic and they, that's all they do. So it doesn't really kind of advance things, but maybe it makes them feel good about what they're doing. Again, not necessarily about the black space, but just how people sometimes react on social media about how they feel they're addressing a problem. So, you know, you now you've got the Facebook group and we were talking before we turned the mics on a little bit about your video podcast, which you do on Facebook. Can you talk a little bit about that? I do like a monthly live conversation called the Black Tennessee Voices Live Facebook conversation where I will broadcast through Facebook rooms, which is a very useful uh, resource that I've kind of mentioned before, you know, just using Facebook in general. But I will have the, the guests come into my Facebook room and then we broadcast the conversation live into the Facebook group. Then we will, uh, I'll download, you know, the video. I'll have, you know, our video people kind of edit it a little bit and then post it. Just, just a tiny bit, you know, I'm not, I'm not always a wordsmith as I like to think of myself. And then I'll, they'll post it into the Tennessean. I mean, it's very useful. I mean, again, like Facebook is, can be underrated because that's usually what people think that their uncles and grandpas were, are on, you know, and, and people forget just how like innovative and help, helpful Facebook, uh, Facebook can be with a lot of their resources. And I mean, it's honestly the same format as Zoom. It's pretty simple to use if you're just, you know, trying to find like a quick way to, to interact with. I mean, if you're just trying to interact with your family and do something special, you can do like a, uh, a video. Um, uh, like a, video me. Virtual party. Yeah. yeah like, virtual yeah, party. Like that. yeah. So, I mean, hopefully I'll get some money uh, from Facebook out of uh, this. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, sometimes when you're, you know, I think it, it kind of goes into like the fast pace, you know, ness of uh of journalism where you just need to get the content you need to get it you know right away so i think facebook rooms are is really helpful with that but yeah that's one of the things that we do in the chat you know i always or in the group sorry i usually will share columns and or just regular stories that you know are relevant to the black community and the group i usually just you know curate that i ask questions if it's pertaining to the black community i usually just try to you know keep it really you know i usually try to post like twice a day just because i know that like like with facebook groups it's like really easy for people not to care if you don't post a lot if you don't post a lot people are like because you may not even get someone may look at your the notification oh lebron posted something uh in in the group it may not even may not even look into the group but they will at least know that the group is alive <laughs> if you if you if you know that that group is still going on and that like if that person knows that that gives at least a little bit more percentage of them actually coming back into like that gives me like some hope that they will come back into the chat and do stuff they at least know that it's still happening so i think that's important for um for you know for anyone wanting to do a facebook group is to, re to remember that it's a it's you know it's going to be tough because i remember when i when we first started the group again we had like five members but i was posting every single day and now, you know, we got up to 300 members. So it's like, 
you know, it's, it really pays off to just continue to keep, you know, having that, that routine in your head because, you know, it doesn't, you know, uh, uh, hard work, hard work pays off, you know, and, 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 you know, again, it goes back to what, you know, what I was saying about, you know, the black community has always wanted something like this to happen, I think. And so when there are more people coming in, I just knew that they were going to want this and they were, you know, people were liking and commenting on what's happening and it ended up working out really good. Just to, you know, go back to your little comment about Facebook being for your, your, your uncle and your grandfather. I mean, a lot of people, they have Facebook, but they, they don't have any, you know, experience with zoom. They don't have any experience with, with Skype even. So, mm-hmm. you know, almost everybody has, has Facebook. So, it, you know, that gives you an entree and plus it's free. Yeah. I mean, if, I mean, if like, there's like, I mean, I feel like there's, it's kind of like that, you know, like people say like, you can only use like 10, you've only used like 10% of your brain or whatever. I feel like only 10% of people, like people only use like 10% of what Facebook is actually like, like what, you know, like, like what's it, like Facebook actually has. Like we all, all we do is post stuff or comment we don't do anything outside of that and like if you actually if you actually like i challenge anyone to just go on facebook and just look at all the different things you can do on facebook and it would it, it's like it's insane like it's 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 so interesting to go on facebook and just look at all the different types of like things you can do and be broadcasting or what you can do within that broadcast or within that room and like all the things that like facebook allows you to do it's just it's 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 really it's it's such a broad you know material i mean it's it's such a, a rich technology i think that you know or a rich platform and it's 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 really uh, it's really fascinating so w- with your effort to try and reach um audiences with the uh, with black voices uh the black tennessean um you know what what worked well what didn't work well what surprised you we were going to uh, make the facebook group specifically a a public group and we realized that it really wasn't going to work if we did that because as you know you know facebook and social media in general can just be very volatile and it can be very um especially to black uh minority uh people they can be they can you know there are a lot of bullies there there are a lot of people i mean i know firsthand that you know if, as, as, a, as a black man on social media like people will We'll look out. I mean, we'll single out your comments and you know, and come at you and target you. So, we we decided, you know, that it was it was important to make it a private group so that we can create a safe space because it really is. You know, I know people like you know rag on that term safe space, but it really is needed in our in our current time. I think it's it's really important to to have an uh, an atmosphere or, or an environment that um, can can promote, um, you know conversation, open conversation, and not, you know, feel like someone's targeting you every time you say something that they don't agree with. Another thing was that going through the newsletter, one of the things that that I realized was that in order for it to work, we had to kind of broaden what the topics were. And, you know, I'm saying this very, you know, trying to be careful with what I say, because we just, we knew that there were going to be topics that, you know, were just pertaining to Black people, that only black people would, would care about, obviously. But we had to realize that it wasn't just about trying to get issues that only black people care about. It's about getting issues that anyone can talk about, but are curated by black or led by black voices, right? I think there was one week back when we were just doing the monthly newsletter through the Tennessee Voices newsletter. I did like a, it was terrible, like it was a terrible click rate, terrible open rate, did not get a lot of people. But I noticed 
that it was just issues that only like that were really specific to the black community, which isn't a bad thing. But then me and my uh, my editor, you know, David Plazas, we started talking and, and he was like, well, hey, how about you like, you know, take a broad topic that can be led by black voices, but how about you try to, you know, do it that way? And so I wrote a column about defunding the police, which is a topic I think any person can, you know, can gravitate to, can learn from, can, you know, research into. But it's a conversation that can be led by Black people, you know, based off, you know, based off of, you know, the countless police brutality experiences by African-American men and women. So I wrote that and that that did great numbers. Click rate was awesome. Open rate was high. And so it made us realize that, like, we have to start looking at it from, okay, we're not just going to be just doing Black issues only, but we have to make sure that we understand that, like, these voices, these Black voices are powerful enough to talk about any subject, you know, any viewer, whether it be Black or or white or Hispanic, whatever, they can get something out of this Black author writing about this subject. So we really had to get more detailed about our approach when it came to, to that. So what advice would you give to somebody who wanted to do something like this? Number one, be honest and genuine about it. I think that anyone who's in this field obviously knows that honesty and truth and fairness is what drives readership or what drives, you know, uh, interest, right? And so I think we have to acknowledge that there are going to be people who are, you know, again, like we face in the Tennessee and there's going to, there's a history that we might not even know about, but it's there. And this, and this person is, is negatively affected by it. And that's why they don't want to read. There was this one time where David, he um, was on Twitter and I think he was, he was doing something on Twitter and there was this lady who retweeted him on this, this, on this thing that he posted and was like, man, I really wish that like, I could actually like, you know, have someone in the Tennessee who looked like me be on the, on the Tennessee or whatever. He was like, hey, no, actually, we do have a, a black, a black reporter, you know, his name's LeBron. And like, you know, he shared me and I said, yeah, like, you know, I'm super happy to be here now, you know, yada, yada, yada. And she was like, oh, OK, cool. I didn't know this. You know, it was it was like this this good moment of us realize, like people realizing, yeah, like we actually are like they're actually taking steps into finding black columnists and reporters that want to be a part of the Tennessee and want to work, you know, there. So I think it's just be intentional give journalists a chance. I think that's something that from being a, a, a kind of young journalist, I think that's something that's important to convey is that a lot of young Black and just, you know, minority journalists are wanting to have a moment like I have or wanting to be in a place like I'm, a position that I'm in. And you have to give them chances in order for that to happen. So, you know, if there's any newsroom that's thinking about, you know, doing something like what we did at the Black Tennessee uh, or at the Tennessee with the Black Tennessee Voices Initiative, do that. Reach out to, you know, there's a National Association of Black Journalists. I'm sure that they have, you know, a database of people who are looking for jobs, National Association of Hispanic Journalists. Like I'm, sh- I'm sure there are tons of, of avenues that you can go into to, to find these uh, minority journalists. So, I mean, just invest and, and, and know that it's going to be a journey. I think it took a year for me to really to actually get into this Black Tennessee Voices initiative because I was, you know, I was fresh out of college when I got my job and I was still learning the business and I was learning it from a different perspective. And, you know, I was still learning, but they invested into me. We luckily have this great initiative to have here and to celebrate. Again, trusting your, you know, your gut about what you want to do, but 
start with hiring minority journalists who can fill these positions that you want to be filled. Yeah, I think it's definitely a great place to start. I've been talking to LeBron Hill, an opinion columnist in Nashville, who leads the Black Tennessee Voices Initiative at the Tennessean. He wrote about it for API's Better News Initiative. LeBron, thanks for coming on the Better News Podcast. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News Initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News Initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.